Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of lung cancer from the oncology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 65-year-old man with a 40-pack year smoking history presents to his primary care physician for fatigue and cough. He reports that his symptoms began approximately one year ago and has progressively worsened. He has noticed a streak of blood when coughing into a napkin. He says that about two to three times a week, he wakes up from sleep drenched in sweat. Compared to his last visit four months ago, he has lost 12 pounds, which he states is unintentional. Physical examination is notable for finger clubbing. Radiography of the chest shows a pulmonary nodule located in the peripheral right lung. No prior imaging is available. A CT scan of the chest demonstrates an 11-millimeter pulmonary eccentric nodule located peripherally. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick overview, lung cancer is a malignancy that affects the lung parenchyma, or airways. Most lung cancers can be divided into small-cell lung cancer and non-small-cell lung cancer. With respect to epidemiology, as far as the incidence, lung cancer is the second most common cancer. However, it is the leading cause of cancer-related death. Risk factors include cigarette smoking, which is the most important risk factor, and know that secondhand smoke exposure is also a risk factor. Other risk factors include asbestos, radon, and a family history of lung cancer. The prognosis depends on the cancer type and severity. Screening is performed with a low-dose computerized tomography or CT scan of the chest. This is indicated in patients 55 to 80 years of age who have a 30-pack year smoking history and either of the following. Patients that currently smoke or have quit smoking within the past 15 years. Now, let's go over the classification of lung cancer, which can be divided into small-cell lung cancer and non-small-cell lung cancer. So small-cell lung cancer, otherwise known as oat-cell lung cancer, is located centrally. Associated findings include a MYC gene amplification. Know that small-cell lung cancer may produce adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH, which leads to Cushing syndrome. It may also produce excessive antidiuretic hormone, or ADH, which leads to syndrome of inappropriate ADH, or SIADH. And small-cell lung cancer can also produce presynaptic calcium channel antibodies, which leads to Lambert-Eaton syndrome. As far as the histology of small-cell lung cancer, biopsy will show small size of tumor cells with lack of nucleoli and high nuclear-to-cytoplasm ratio. Histology will be positive for neuron-specific analase and chromogranin A. Moving on to non-small-cell lung cancer, examples include adenocarcinoma, large-cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma of the lung, and bronchial carcinoid tumor. So adenocarcinoma is located peripherally. As far as associated findings, know that adenocarcinoma is the most common cause of lung cancer in non-smokers, as well as the most common cause of lung cancer excluding metastasis. Know that adenocarcinoma in situ is associated with tumor growth along the alveolar structures and has a lipidic growth pattern. Patients may have hypertrophic osteoarthropathy, and common gene mutations include KRAS, EGFR, and ALK. As far as histology of adenocarcinoma, this is typically mucin-positive and has a glandular appearance. Moving on to large cell carcinoma, location is peripheral, and as far as associated findings, Large cell carcinoma is associated with a poor prognosis and is highly associated with smoking. Histology includes pleomorphic giant cells. Moving on to squamous cell carcinoma of the lung, the location is central, it can arise from the bronchus, and histology includes keratin pearls and intracellular bridges. Finally, moving on to bronchial carcinoid tumor, this can be located centrally or peripherally, it can be associated with carcinoid syndrome, 
and know that bronchial carcinoid tumor has a better prognosis. Histology will reveal neuroendocrine cells and is chromogranin A positive. As far as the presentation of lung cancer, symptoms include cough, wheezing, unintentional weight loss, hemoptysis, chest pain, dyspnea, and hoarseness, which suggests involvement of the recurrent laryngeal nerve. Physical exam may reveal finger clubbing. Moving on to imaging, radiography is indicated as the initial imaging modality when evaluating a patient with symptoms concerning for lung cancer. It's very important to review previous chest imaging to assess for lesion properties and changes. Computerized tomography or a CT scan is performed with low doses to screen for lung cancer, which we talked about earlier on in the episode. CT scan is indicated to further evaluate pulmonary nodules found on radiography. Remember that chest CT should be obtained for all patients with an unclearly characterized solitary pulmonary nodule seen on radiography. As far as studies to obtain, laboratory testing should include a complete blood count, liver function tests, for example, alanine aminotransferase, aspartate aminotransferase, and total bilirubin, as abnormalities may suggest liver metastasis. Another laboratory test to obtain is alkaline phosphatase, as abnormalities may suggest liver or bone metastasis. Know that a gamma glutamyl transpeptidase or GGT should be obtained to differentiate between liver or bone involvement. Calcium is another laboratory test to obtain as abnormalities may suggest bone metastasis or paraneoplastic syndromes. Other studies to obtain include pulmonary function tests. As far as evaluation of an incidental solitary pulmonary nodule, benign features include diffuse, central, popcorn, and concentric. Malignant features include a ground glass appearance and eccentric. Know that in the setting of a solitary pulmonary nodule of less than 8 millimeters, if there are or aren't risk factors, one typically does surveillance with a chest CT in a few months depending on the size of the lesion. In the setting of a solitary pulmonary nodule of greater than 8 millimeters, if there is a very low probability of malignancy, you can continue with CT surveillance. If there is a low slash moderate probability of malignancy, you should obtain a PET scan. If there is absent or mild uptake, you can continue with CT surveillance. If there is moderate or intense uptake, you should obtain a biopsy or video-assisted thoroscopic surgery. Finally, when there is a high probability of malignancy, staging evaluation should be done with or without a PET scan. Finally, a flexible bronchoscopy is indicated to evaluate for an endobronchial mass in patients with recurrent pneumonia and extensive smoking history. The differential diagnosis for lung cancer includes tuberculosis. However, differentiating factors between tuberculosis and lung cancer is that in tuberculosis, there is an abnormal quantiferon or purified protein derivative or PPD test. There's also a history of increased risk of exposure, for example, a household contact with someone with diagnosed tuberculosis or travel to a tuberculosis endemic area. As far as treatment of small cell lung cancer, most cases are non-resectable and thus require chemotherapy, for example, with carboplatin and etoposide. Non-small cell lung cancer treatment includes surgical removal, lymph node sampling or dissection, radiation, and chemotherapy, and this depends on the staging. Finally, let's end this review session talking about some complications of lung cancer. And the ones to know include superior vena cava syndrome, Pankow's tumor, which may cause Horner syndrome, metastasis, pericardial effusion, pleural effusion, and paraneoplastic syndromes like Lambert-Eaton syndrome, SIADH, and Cushing syndrome. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 51-year-old man presents to the emergency department complaining of fever for several days and a productive cough with yellow-green sputum. He denies any hemoptysis, facial pain, 
rhinorrhea, and night sweats. The patient reported similar symptoms two months ago, and chest radiograph at the time was notable for a right middle lobe consolidation. He was diagnosed with lobar pneumonia and completed a seven-day course of antibiotics with complete resolution of his symptoms. He has no other significant medical history and does not take any medications. He has smoked one pack of cigarettes a day for 35 years and drinks three beers a week. He is sexually active with his wife. Temperature is 101.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 127 over 85. Pulse is 102 per minute. And respirations are 22 per minute. Physical exam is notable for decreased bronchial breath sounds without wheezing and increased dullness to percussion on the right side. A chest radiograph is ordered and reveals a consolidation in the right middle lobe. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the choices are 1. Barium swallow. 2. Computed tomography or CT of the chest without contrast. 3. HIV antibody assay. 4. Interferon gamma release assay and 5 serum immunoglobulin levels. The correct answer to this question is 2. Computed tomography or CT of the chest without contrast. So this patient with recurrent pneumonia in the same anatomical location is concerning for an anatomical obstruction. Given his history of heavy smoking, lung cancer should be ruled out with a chest CT with possible subsequent bronchoscopy for tissue biopsy. To quickly review, recurrent pneumonia can be classified either as those confined to one anatomical location of the lung or those involving different portions of the lung. If a recurrent pneumonia is limited to a single region, the patient should be evaluated for an anatomic obstruction such as a mass or mucus plug. Obstruction will hinder mucociliary clearance and allow for proliferation of bacteria leading to recurrent infections. The most concerning etiology of such an obstruction is a malignant tumor causing external bronchial compression. These patients should be screened with a chest CT to rule out lung cancer. If lesions are identified on CT, subsequent bronchoscopy or CT-guided biopsy may be warranted. Other causes of recurrent pneumonia limited to an anatomical region include recurrent aspirations secondary to tracheoesophageal disorders or seizures. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, barium swallow is often done to investigate anatomical abnormalities of the upper GI tract, such as tracheoesophageal fistula or diverticulum. These can increase the risk of aspiration and lead to recurrent pneumonia. However, in a patient with positive risk factors for cancer, chest CT to rule out malignancy would be the best next step. Answer 3. HIV can cause secondary immunodeficiency, which can predispose patients to recurrent infections. However, these recurrent pneumonias would be expected to be in different regions of the lung and not anatomically confined. Answer 4. Interferon gamma release assay can be used to diagnose tuberculosis or TB. Reactivation of TB will present clinically with fever, cough, hemoptysis, and night sweats. Chest radiography will commonly reveal an upper lobe infiltrate. And finally, answer 5, serum immunoglobulin levels would be an appropriate next step to diagnose primary immunodeficiencies, such as common variable immunodeficiency or other antibody defects. However, this would present with multiple lung infections in different regions of the lung in association with other infections such as sinusitis, otitis, and gastrointestinal infections. To leave you with a bullet summary, recurrent pneumonia in the same anatomical region should be worked up with a chest computed tomography or CT scan after a chest radiograph is obtained with subsequent bronchoscopy and biopsy to rule out malignancy. And moving on to the final question, a 67-year-old man presents to the emergency department with fever, shortness of breath, and cough, which has progressively worsened over the course of one week. He endorses mild chest pain and denies any palpitations or hemoptysis. He denies any recent travel or sick contacts. 
He has had four similar presentations over the course of the past year and was successfully managed with intravenous antibiotics. His temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 145 over 80 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 86 per minute. Respirations are 18 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 93% on pulse oximetry. The patient has smoked one pack of cigarettes daily for the past 40 years. Radiography of the chest demonstrates a right middle lobe opacity, which is similar to his radiographs from his prior hospitalizations. Which of the following diagnostic studies will most likely determine the cause of this patient's symptoms? And the choices are 1. CT of the chest with IV contrast. 2. Flexible bronchoscopy. 3. HIV testing. 4. Interferon gamma release assay and five pulmonary function tests. The correct answer to this question is two, flexible bronchoscopy. So this patient's extensive smoking history and recurrent pneumonia in the same lung lobe is concerning for an endobronchial obstruction. Flexible bronchoscopy can visualize the endobronchial obstruction and biopsy the lesion. To quickly review, patients with recurrent pneumonia can either 1. have the infection in a particular anatomic region which is suggestive of a local anatomic abnormality, or 2. have an infection involving different regions of the lung which is suggestive of an underlying systemic process, for example chronic immunosuppression. Patients with recurrent pneumonia in a particular anatomic region should be worked up for an endobronchial obstruction, and an extensive smoking history should raise suspicion for bronchogenic carcinoma. Flexible bronchoscopy can visualize the bronchial space and allow for a biopsy of the endobronchial lesion for tissue staining and genetic studies. In addition to evaluating endobronchial obstructions, flexible bronchoscopy can also evaluate for abnormal pulmonary infiltrates in patients who are immunocompromised. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, CT of the chest with IV contrast should be performed in this patient given his recurrent pneumonia in the same anatomic location and extensive smoking history. However, it cannot confirm the diagnosis since it only visualizes the lung parenchyma. Answer 3. HIV testing is an appropriate diagnostic study for patients who have recurrent infections. However, the identical anatomic location of the recurrent pneumonia suggests a local obstruction rather than a systemic immunodeficiency. Answer 4. Interferon gamma release assay is a serum study that evaluates for tuberculosis infection, which does not differentiate between current or prior infection. Reactivation tuberculosis usually affects the apical posterior segments of the upper lobes on chest imaging. Finally, answer 5, pulmonary function tests would be useful to evaluate for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, which can be associated with extensive cigarette smoking. However, radiography of the chest would demonstrate a hyperinflated lung. To leave you with the bullet summary, flexible bronchoscopy evaluates for endobronchial obstruction in patients with recurrent pneumonia in the same lung lobe and allows for biopsy of a visualized obstructing lesion to confirm the diagnosis. That's all for this review about lung cancer. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.